Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Reaching the Summit podcast. I am one of your hosts. My name is Todd Buckingham. You can find me on Twitter at Reach Summit Pod. And I'm Zach Dosh, and you can find me on Twitter at Zachary Dosh. And I'm Greg Steeman, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at Greg Steeman. Well, so in the second weekend of Summit League action, we saw, I think, what will see more often as the season goes on a lot closer games, closer series, um, some buzzer beaters, thing, things like that. Um, so we'll jump right into the matchups themselves, talk a little bit about that. And then we've got some listener questions with each of those matchups and some questions we'll answer at the end. Um, and I wanted to start with South Dakota uh, versus Kansas city. So South Dakota goes to four and in conference and Kansas City uh, drops to one and three after after uh, USD sweeps the series in Kansas City. My first question is: USD is now fourth four zero in conference play. Do we feel they're a true competitor? Are they the number four? Are they cracking into that two three range? Where do we think South Dakota is at after their first four games? Well, I, you know, they they've certainly earned those four wins. I mean, uh, to, to get the sweep at home over Denver, which, and I think everybody realizes Denver is struggling right now, but that, that doesn't mean that you don't have to go out and play the games. And I think USD handled them in a dominant fashion at yeah. home on back-to-back nights. But then they go down to KC and, and get to, uh, and KC has proven that they're not, they're certainly not going to be an offensive powerhouse, but they will guard you. They'll get after you. I don't know that in the league that USD doesn't um, maybe mirror what Kansas City tries to do from the uh, ability to really get after you defensively in the half court and make things difficult. When you look at the numbers that USD are, are holding their opponents to, you know, 31% from behind the three-point arc and, and, and 40, you know, under 41% field goal percentage, USD is getting a lot of, you know, a lot of things done defensively. They're, they're extremely difficult to play against and to their credit. So they were a, they were a team that maybe Kansas city wasn't excited to see come into their place because USD is, you know, with the, with what they're doing very well right now, which is defending very well, that gives them a chance on the road. So are they in the conversation? Yeah, they've earned that, you know, as of, as of today. And I do think USD schedule, you know, their early season schedule, they don't have the NDSUs, the ORUs, and the South Dakota States early in their schedule. They're establishing some confidence or defining some roles. A.J. Plitzowite has emerged. And I know that's one of the things you want to discuss a little bit later, Todd. But um, when you look at what Plitzowite and Amude are doing, and then I, I kind of look at the, the uh, Comateros growing into his role in conference play, as is Arshembo, I think they're defining some roles. And and they're playing at a pretty good level. So you can't argue that they're in the conversation at 4-0 and because they've done everything you can to this point in the, in the conference season. Yeah, I don't know, uh, you know, that their record in particular is anything to get carried away with at this point. Obviously, it's not their fault, but, you know, they pretty much had the easiest schedule uh, year to date. Um, but like Greg said, I think the, the most important takeaway for me is they've answered a lot of the questions that we've had about them. You know, we've never said that we don't think that they're a good team. We said, well, they have some questions, and if they answer them in the right manner, then they're probably going to be pretty good. 
Um, so, you know, I, I think solidifying that starting lineup, I think solidifying a couple rolls off the bench. Um, it looks like they've pared down their, their rotation a little bit. They, they've definitely tightened it up. I think a couple of players fell out of the rotation, quite frankly. Um, but they're looking good. Like they, they're really, they're, they're growing up quickly, I would say. And then they're coming together quickly. And I think a lot of the credit goes to AJ puts away, which I'm guessing we'll talk about, but, um, they're answering a lot of the questions regardless of who they're playing. And so I think they're on the right track at this point and we'll see how they do against a little tougher competition coming up here. Yeah. I, Kansas city isn't a great scoring team, but I think beating them twice is not Absolutely. that easy. They're a tough team. They're just that second game back to back with them. Who wants to get back on the court and go through that again? Um, a lot of jokes online about are they playing football or basketball, basically. Um, but I actually enjoy Kansas City's style. I, anybody, any team that's going to put that much effort into defending the entire game, my point is that's on the people with stripes on their shirts if they're going to call fouls or not. So, yeah, it, it, yeah they're a tough team. Yeah, At it's least. almost like when 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 the way you, the way you see Kansas City play defense, and you see how effective it is. And you kind of wonder where they would be without it. It almost kind of makes you look at your own team and be like, man, maybe we need to take a page out of that book because it is that effective. And, it, and that, that's the one calling card. You're absolutely right. You know, sweeps on the road should never be taken lightly. I don't care who it is. And so, you know, that was a hard fought win. That was a very good weekend for South Dakota. Yeah, and one of the things that that I think about too with Kansas City is there there's nobody over six foot four, six foot five that plays big minutes except for Josiah Alec. So for them to be able to defend down low and and play tough defense is is impressive. Um, what, what one question I had with that though, it, there, there's a clear lack of offense that you watch. One of the things that was cool to watch with the Kansas City feed is it's closer to the court, so you can actually see a little better. It's just an angle that was easier to see. And man, was South Dakota giving them room on the outside to shoot. Um, it does their lack of offense have them kind of destined to a bottom third finish? I think it does really lower their ceiling. You know, um, it lowers their ceiling. And it was quite honestly what South Dakota did against them is sort of what I was expecting UND to do against them, especially during that second. The second game is. If you take the pain away against them, what do they do? And I don't know if they have a great answer for that. And the blueprint's going to be out there. And and then what? So I, I do agree. It's, you know, they, they just kind of have a fatal flaw at this point. Um, they'll still pick off some teams, but uh, it's going to be tough sledding for them at, deeper into the year as we get. Yeah, I, I'm in agreement with that uh, at, at this point in time. I, I just think there are a number of more complete teams. Uh, nobody questions Kansas City's effort on the defensive end, and that's why they're going to be in, in some games, and that's why they're probably going to win some games they shouldn't. But their consistency on the offensive end and the ability to, to you know, uh, shoot it well enough from the perimeter to, to really force people to come out and say, well, we have to take the, the three-point line away from you because you might, you might beat us from behind there. I haven't seen that yet. That was, and that was USD's approach when they went down there. To, to their credit, um, as you guys have both mentioned, getting a road sweep is really big. And so I, I think in, unless they have some uh, substantial improvement offensively, I, I think they're probably 
in the conversation for the for towards the bottom of the league, but that doesn't mean that they're not going to get some wins that they shouldn't down the road. And you guys teased um, AJ splits white. Uh, one of the things I want to talk about with him to to me, and and correct me if you you guys think differently, he's starting to emerge as maybe the best. Um, both scoring and distributing distributing point guard in the Summit League. And to, to me, he feels like he's the biggest reason for the turnaround at USD. You're going to get Stanley Amude. Um, he is who he is, and, and which is a great player. But Plitzwhite has really come on and made a big difference in their, in, in their uh, recent stretch. What do you guys think on his play? And has it gotten better since the beginning of the year? Yeah, I think he has. I think he's really elevated his game and, you know, and it's tough for all of the Summit League teams. So few had any home games in the non-conference schedule. Right. Um, yeah, um, USD started 0-5, but for the most part, those were against some pretty good teams. Drake has shown themselves to be a good Missouri Valley team. You know, Colorado, Nebraska, then they got into the Dakota Showcase and had some difficult games, but then kind of blew out South Dakota State, even though it was without Wilson and, and Friedel had to leave early. They... They, they, yeah, they, they've, um, they've certainly improved, but I think that one-two punch of Plitzowite and Amude, you know, they're right now conference games are averaging about 40 a game between the two of them. And then as, as we talked about the emergence of Comateros and, and, uh, and, and Archambault is kind of those maybe third and fourth scores, I think is good, but you know, there, there's a, there's no question that Plitzowite is showing that he belongs in the summit league. And right now he's, he's literally playing at an all league level. I think the thing with Plitzowite is it's going to be a little hard to quantify his impact on this team um, other than the win-loss column because that's where really it's going to show up the most. I think coming into this year, the questions that we had about South Dakota was, again, they don't have bad players. They just have a lot of new players, and we're trying to figure out, okay, are they going to click? Are they not? You know, And AJ has really been the reason why things have came together so quickly, in my opinion. Uh, not only can he score it, not only does he get the assists, but even little things like being a clear communicator, being a leader, being an organizer, things like that. That's part of the reason why they've been able to come together so quickly on the fly without much of a preseason. And, you know, we let alone all the quarantine issues that they ran into. And so he, he understands not only his game, but his teammates game. And he understands where they need the ball, when they need the ball. And he sets them up for success in addition to getting his own shots. And so he's really been a fun player to watch. He has a lot of good basketball ahead of him, that's for sure. I'll agree with that, Zach. I think you make a great point. The best players aren't only able to put up big numbers on their own, but they really improve the level of those guys around them. And I think Blitzel White's done that early in this season. And one other thing on this matchup, and then we'll move to the next matchup. We got a listener question from the coyote uh message board and it, the question was basically that looks like lee's strat recruiting strategy is transfers overseas guys that are a little bit older when they're freshmen um do you agree that that's his strategy do you think it's too early to tell and do you think that strategy kind of makes sense in today's transfer culture well you know plitz white's considered a transfer but he's a vermilion kid um, right and same same time. Yeah, and at the same time, yeah, he's without question. I think they've got they've got connections overseas with the assistant coaching staff, and so it's understandable that you're going to probably look to to get some 
some foreigners, you know, and, and people that um, you have some natural connections with and that realize, hey, so-and-so had, had a good experience at USD. Maybe I'll try it as well. So you go wherever you can find the best players. The thing, the what USD, the, the, the uphill battle they have in the league is when you look at, you know, their facilities are certainly second to none. But when you look at the communities you're recruiting against, when you're in Vermilion, you're, commuting, you're recruiting against Omaha, you're recruiting against Fargo, you're recruiting, you know, against Denver, um, South Dakota State, who has kind of the, the more recent tradition of success. There are some uphill battles. So sometimes you go, are we going to try to, are we going to spend all our resources going head to head with these, you know, fellow league rivals? Or are we going to say, where, where's our, where's our path of least resistance where we can still get really high quality, talented players? And I think that's, everything depends on what your circumstances dictate. And at this point in time, uh, USD shown that they can have some sex, they can have some success with players like that. And so I think they'll continue to do it, but don't don't think for a second that if they have a an opportunity to get an extremely high level high school player in the region, that they aren't going to be putting themselves in that conversation. Right. Yeah, I I think both Lee and Coach Sather are really kind of in the same boat, where you know they're having to address some major needs uh, due to graduations last year, and they're having to do it on the fly. And uh, I think it's important for these these coaches to leave no stone left unturned in, in how they put their roster together the best way that they can. And um, you're seeing it, it, both coaches, whether it's transfers, grad transfers, overseas, JUCO, what have you, uh, they're basically scouring the earth for to these players to put their roster together because, you know, this is a very high level of basketball. I don't think people really understand how high it is. I mean, you look at, even at NDSU, you know, a guy like Bowden Scumberg, who basically could do whatever he wanted in high school uh, for a number of years and getting to college. And it's a huge learning curve and he's trying to carve out a little role here. So, I mean, it's it's a huge step up. So there's there's very few players that can really be an impact at this level. I think both of these coaches would love to be in a situation that that South Dakota State and North Dakota State are in where they are just focusing on high school freshmen because they have the guys that have been in the program for three and four years and they can count on them. And they really have this nice little pipeline going where, you know, they, they can just keep feeding freshmen in and then they buy into the culture. And by, by the time they're ready to go, they're solid players. Um, but, you know, quite, quite honestly, you know, South Dakota and North Dakota just aren't quite at that level in terms of where their roster is at. And, and so they, they have to kind of look at, uh, at other options. Um, it used to be that you could be able to forecast out what your team looks like in, in two years, in three years, in four years, because you know what your, you know, how your freshmen are progressing, things like that. And quite honestly, it's kind of moved to a situation where this is a totally a year-to-year situation. You don't know who's coming back. You don't know who's transferring. You don't know who may be available out there. Uh, it's not just high school freshmen. There's plenty of transfers that are becoming available. And... Um, it's important for these coaches just to really get creative and, and look for ways that, that, they, that they can be improving their roster because, you know, they, it's, they have a tall task taking down some of these other uh, programs. And I'll just add one quick thing. It's only going to get more and more, um, what should I say, difficult or, or year to year, as you said, Zach, yes. if they loosen the transfer restrictions. It's going to be, you know, I mean, uh, I'll tell you what, these – these mid-majors are going to be AAA for high majors if there's no uh, sitting out from transfers. And that's and that 
just comes down to the fact that you better make sure you've got guys that are really committed to your program, completely bought in, or at the very least, you've got you've done a good job of recruiting depth so that you can fill spots without taking a big step backwards. And it's one of those things that if transfers become more prevalent, you can't really fight it. I mean, you, you can a little bit. Yeah, I mean, obviously, culture in, in places like NDSU and SDSU, there's gonna, they're going to have less transfers. But on the, on the same token, you kind of need to play that game, too. I mean, if, if you don't really master that game and take advantage of it, you're kind of fighting the battle with one arm behind your back. So you just need to be you need, well, I, I think that the common theme throughout all this is you need to be a tremendous uh, evaluator of talent and you need to be able to look into somebody's soul and understand what their intentions are here, because it's not just about getting the right players or it's not just about getting the best players. It's about getting the right players. And that could, there's a lot of good basketball players out there, but finding the right players that you know that you can count on and you can go to battle with and you know what their, like what their uh, goals are and things like that is equally important because you can't sink all this time into players that aren't fully bought in. So there's a lot that goes into just the, the maintaining of a roster. And it's really these head coaches' number one jobs. <laughs> well, it is. And I'm sorry, Todd, I'm jumping in one more time. Um, don't think there won't be trickle down because when you have one of the best division two conferences in your backyard for a lot of these Summit league teams, it's, um, it, it's, it's going to be interesting moving forward because I do think um, we will not see the NCAA tighten um, transfer restrictions up. The only thing we'll see them do is loosen them. And, and that's going to be a, an interesting game to play for a lot of different coaches, at a lot of different levels. Well, and you may even see some strategies where it's, Hey, let's look at these high major teams. This guy wants to transfer out because he's not getting enough minutes. Well, guess where you can get minutes. You know, it, yeah. it's just it. The big thing is, it's just going to be changing. You know, the days of a guy graduating with his four years with the team, and you know, having that four years to cheer that player on, just maybe, maybe much less than we're used to. Yeah, and and, and if it leads to more parity, and if it leads to kids ultimately playing more minutes in their career rather than just sitting for two or three years, then I'm probably for that. I may, I may be in the minority here, at least in this podcast, but if it means that the kids get a chance to play more of their career and sit less, I'll, I'll, I'm okay with the ancillary effects of what comes with that anyway. Partly because I don't have to maintain a roster. It's easy for me to say that. <laughs> you know, so... <laughs> Just got to get everybody to find the love of their life on campus. And then that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Let's move on to North Dakota state and Omaha. Um, I, I, I didn't put it in the notes gentlemen, but I did want to start out with uh, the first game. North Dakota state had a big lead with, with minute, minute and a half left. And, and Omaha almost came back and it, well, actually did come back and tie it. But we had the Sam Greasel uh, game winner. In, in game one. And it, there, there's been a theme in a, in a couple of our podcasts about, do they have a go-to guy? And if, if we remember back to Kansas, that was Rocky cruiser. This time it was on, was Sam Griesel with, with uh semi role uh, defending him. Who's probably four inches shorter. Um, is, is that just kind of what we're going to see in those end game situations? I think so. I, I, you know, like, and I even addressed, we addressed it last night in the post game. It's, do they have a go-to guy? Probably not. Do they have go-to schemes? I think they have a lot of them. And you're also seeing some individuals on that team, some of the younger guys, develop um, their skill sets and, and 
how dangerous and difficult they're going to be to defend. So, yeah, I think going back just to answer that question specifically on, on the at the end of that game one on Friday night, Greasel knocks one down with, with 0.5 left. It was a tough shot, you know. Uh, yeah, nothing and, wrong with the defense. Yeah, Rowe defended him as well as he could, but like you say, Greasel at about 6'6", just elevated over the top and knocked a tough shot down. And I think maybe the most uncharacteristic thing of the night was the fact that Omaha came back from a 12-point deficit in the last two minutes of the game, which is unheard of against NDSU. And if anything, Dave Richmond probably was ecstatic. He was able to walk off the floor Friday night, you know, for two reasons. They got a win, and that he, and then he had some very teachable moments, should we say, <laughs> from the last two minutes that he could challenge his guys to. And I thought... I thought uh, his group came out Saturday night and played an exceptional game for 40 minutes. Yeah, it's it's really uh, appropriate or, or fortunate, I guess, for us that we had that scenario that we've been talking about with NDSU as one potential concern. And it, it actually kind of played out like we thought, right? I mean, they identified a matchup where they had a pretty significant advantage and they were able to take advantage of it. And it, it really didn't matter who that particular defender was going to be guarding. I think they were going to probably go after him. He couldn't have played better defense. He couldn't right. have played better defense. If he was a centimeter closer, he would have fouled Sam. Uh, but Sam was still able to hit the shot and had a relatively clean look. I mean, a pretty good look. And so, it, and it's it's funny, Greg, that, that you mentioned that. That was exactly what I'm thinking. You know, normally the, the the line from the coaches is, well, yeah, we lost it, but you know, that'll give us a lot of things to work on and a lot of teachable moments. It's just like, man, the only thing better than that is actually winning the game and still getting those moments, and that's what they got. Yeah. And so. And we saw them clean up some things the next night. And uh, that's what this is about. It's about building on experiences and not making mistakes twice. And NSU is going to be second to none at that. Well, it's funny that you guys say that about the teachable moments, because when uh, Coach Richmond was interviewed after the game, my one thought was, oh, Omaha is screwed tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) That is exactly what I thought. Like he was, it was going to be different. Like I, not that a coach would ever want his team to give up a 12 point lead and and win, but, but it, it, it gave him something to talk about. Um, one of the other things I wanted to talk about is we, in, in our power rankings, NDSU and, uh, and, uh, Oral Roberts have kind of flipped back and forth between two and three. In my mind, the, this first two weekends of summit league play has have proven that, that in fact, maybe even more that NDSU is in kind of the same tier as SDSU and Oral Roberts falls back with South Dakota or whoever you would want to put after that. Is that the way you guys see it as well? I guess I've I've had NDSU at the number two spot, and and right. I I do believe they, you know, the more I watch them, the more complete they are. Um, yes, do they not have that Vinny Shahid, AJ Plitzewhite, true complete point guard? No, they don't. But I think they've got exceptional versatility. And if there's a coach in the league that's always been fine saying, you know what, we don't have to play an eighty possession game. It's been Dave Richmond. Right. And at the same time, it's been enjoyable to watch him adapt and say, okay, typically we'll run this, a lot of ball reversal, things along those lines. But at the same time, he's more than comfortable saying, going back to what Zach alluded to, where's our matchup, you know, superiority? Who can we get isolated? Who can we get touches? We saw that with Grant Nelson, the freshman, you know, on Saturday night. Um, they basically isolated him in the middle of the floor a couple different times, the same way they did with Cruiser against Kansas. And it's just impressive to watch him. 
I, I think the one thing that they do is they have exceptional versatility defensively. And they can run a different number of different bodies at different players. And I think that's what maybe, in my mind, puts them at that in the top tier in the league. Um, where ORU, again, um, people get tired of listening to me. And, and people usually do get tired of listening to me. When I talk about ORU, until they demonstrate an ability to, to defend on a consistent basis, I still question their ability to make a postseason run. Uh, I'll never question their offensive ability, especially with their top two guys. But I, I really think NDSU is pretty good, and I think they're moving more towards, you know, that top two spot and and and, and battling SDSU for the one spot than uh, than they are dr- dropping down. Yeah, I've had a hard time ranking these teams from from one to nine, and um, so what I always try to go to is tiers, and so like I really do feel that. NDSU is in that top tier with SDSU. Uh, part of that's because uh, of the way NDSU is played, and part of that's because I think NDSU has separated themselves from Oral Roberts a little bit. I, I think there's definitely a little bit of a step there. So NDSU and South Dakota State being in the top, and then in the second tier I have USD and Oral Roberts. Uh, but again, I, I think they're kind of pulling away from the rest of the group. Third tier being UND. Kansas City, Omaha, and Western, and then the fourth tier being Denver. So that's kind of how I'm looking at it as right now, um, tier-wise anyway. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about whether it be the tiers or power rankings or how we look at teams. One of the it, the back-to-backs to me are fun because it's fun to see the same team play each other back-to-back nights. At the same time, I wonder if it gives us a false sense of where teams are at. So you look at Omaha with an 0-4 start. But that's against Oral Roberts and uh, North Dakota State. And I would say most teams that aren't those three teams, if they were to go six games against South Dakota State, North Dakota State, and Oral Roberts would be excited to get one win. And so are better things to come for the for the Mavericks, given who they have, have had to play? And then overall, are we just going to see teams have a really rough run? And Western Illinois is another team I think of with a really tough uh, schedule to start when they go through these uh, times where they're playing some really tough competition for f- four to six games at a time. Well, well, Western and Omaha can battle it out right now, seeing who got the worst early season schedule between those two. You know, you got Western starts out against North Dakota State, uh, South Dakota State. Um, Omaha starts out with ORU and North Dakota State. And then I think they've got South Dakota State coming to their place next weekend. You do, yeah. And then I think they have USD after that, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, Omaha probably has the toughest opening eight-game stretch of any team in the league if the games all get played. And at the same time, I still think I they're developing some younger perimeter players. Uh, I still like what Pyle and Tut can do, even though I I think I know you've alluded to 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 Tut's up and down offensive performance, but I do like what Tut and uh, and pile bring and I, and they've also got some other bigs that they're starting to develop um, uh, six, nine kid. And I apologize for not remembering his name. I thought had some impressive um, scoring opportunities against North Dakota state. I still think this Omaha team will be scary by the time the summit league tournament rolls around. Same thing with Western Illinois, but it's all, uh, you can't control what the schedule, the way the schedule happened to play out. But I do think between Western and Omaha, they got the toughest opening, you know, three and four weeks. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to see how that schedule's kind of played out. I, it didn't really 
I didn't really notice that before this weekend, but yeah, it's pretty much, you know, the, the, the top of the conference playing the bottom of the conference. And I get that, obviously, if you win games, you're at the top of the conference, but it's really even based off of the projections, like the preseason projections are still pretty much in line with where, where we're at right now. And so, yeah, uh, or um, Omaha is really kind of drawn the short end of the stick when it comes to that. Um, but, you know, I, I just think, you know, the, the way that they're coached and the way that they compete and the way that they execute uh, gives them a high floor. You know, I don't think that they're going to be dumping any games to any teams here um, because of their where their guard play is at right now. They may not have the highest ceiling, but they're going to have a pretty high floor. So, you know, if they can just kind of keep their wits about them as they're kind of taking some lumps at the beginning part of the schedule, maybe it turns into a situation where, OK, they get to the back half of the schedule. That's a little softer, you know, win some games, get a little momentum and and have and, and then take that right into the conference tournament. I think I probably would rather have that type of schedule than the reverse of it, than be going in, into the conference tournament with on um, like a, a four or six game losing streak, something like that. So, you know, everybody has to play everybody, but I do think the interesting thing is, is kind of, and, and I don't know if this is kind of what you're getting at Todd, but you know, usually in these situations, you go through the whole conference first, you play right. everybody once and then you go through and then you play everybody a second time. And here it's just like, well, you know, maybe you're lucking out, maybe you're, you're getting some bad luck, by the time that you play some of these teams, because, you know, these teams will vacillate. They're not going to be playing at the same level all year. And so there's going to be a little bit of luck of that involved too. Well, and I think part that is what I was getting at. And I, I think even if you have a rough stretch, you usually have a game or two in, in six that are, are winnable games. And, and, and again, this was the best way to do this schedule this year. I mm-hmm. think it was a good way to do it. It's just such an interesting year. Cause if you <laughs> South Dakota at four and oh, and Omaha at oh and four, are they really that different? I'm not so sure, but given the opponents that, that their both records aren't shocking either. Uh, so it's a, it's an interesting, it's just a odd way that it, that it works out this season. Yeah, basically not to get too carried away with the win-loss records at this point. More or less, try to analyze how they're actually playing. Right. We did have a North Dakota State listener question also, and it wasn't for the men's team. It was for the women's team um, and women's uh, summit basketball in general. It's looking pretty strong that South Dakota and South Dakota State are looking like NCAA teams. And there were projections last year that, that we would possibly have two summit league teams in the tournament last year on the women's side as well with North Dakota state's upward trend, any chance we could get three teams in this season? I think it's a really good question. Um, I think it would be unheard of for the summit league to this right. point, but when you look at the non-conference wins, when, when you actually look through the summit league, women's basketball, non-conference wins, um, and, and even outside of North Dakota state, South Dakota State and USD, there's, you know, there's some other power five wins. And uh, <clears throat> so it's not far-fetched, to be honest with you. It's uh, because that's when mid-major leagues have to establish their credibility in the eyes of the committee is in the non-conference season. Uh, and, and I do think, you know, North Dakota State has a couple wins against Green Bay. They've got a win against Northern Iowa. They've got, um, they played Iowa State tough. There's another win in there somewhere too. Oh, they beat Kansas for gosh sakes in Lawrence, and so their their non-conference wins rival what USD and and South Dakota State do kind of on a on a on a perennial basis. To be honest with you, um, 
not not afraid to play anybody anywhere. And this season lent itself to that. It's kind of like, hey, who needs games? Who can play? Where can we go? We'll go play it. And it just so happens that USD, SDSU, and North Dakota State won a lot of those games this season. It's, I still think it's a huge reach at this point, unless those three teams clearly separate themselves from everybody else and beat everybody else up in the in the Summit League. Um, you know, maybe, but they're moving in that direction. And I do think it's different on the women's side than it is on the men's side from this standpoint. There are, for whatever reason, um, a lot of high-level Division One players on the women's side um, in this part of the country. And USD and SDSU have been doing a great job of finding those. I think Jory Collins is going to Jory Collins is going to join that group at North Dakota State and really convince those young ladies that guess what you've got just as good a chance to get to the tournament in the Summit League as you do if you go to another high major. So um, good question. I think it's still a stretch at this point, but they're certainly moving in that direction. Yeah, Greg did a good job of breaking down the the scenario and just kind of what's happening big picture on the women's side here. Um, you know, to, to answer the question directly, I think the scenario that I, I think would be most likely if that were to occur would be if South Dakota and South Dakota State essentially run the table and they're sort of like fringe ranked teams all year long. Um, but then North Dakota State wins the conference tournament. And so yeah, they true. wouldn't be able to they'd have to give South Dakota and South Dakota State at large buys at large bids. But. Uh, then North Dakota State getting the automatic bid. That that would be the, the surest way to get three in, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and it does help if you look at it on the men's side, like the Missouri Valley when they've had really good years. It does help to have two teams that are as good as South Dakota and South Dakota State because if you do steal one from one of them, that it pairs up with the win against Kansas and some of those other bigger wins. But it's just so tough because typically in, in leagues this size, the bottom of the league hurts so bad if you if you lose any games. So, Zach, that, that makes a lot of sense that that might be the easiest way for that to happen. Uh, we'll move on to the South Dakota State men's. Uh, they played Western Illinois. And it was the first time we've seen South Dakota State in conference play. And and like we had mentioned earlier, Western Illinois goes on to another challenging um, matchup. And Western played South Dakota State close in the first game. And then in the second game, it was uh, semi-close at halftime. And then South Dakota State uh, ran away with it. Uh, both Wilson and Friedel returned. And, I, and it seemed like they looked good. Um, both, uh, from everything, again, I didn't watch the game. It was, it was pay-per-view on the South Dakota state site. Um, but all the, the Twitter verse, I suppose you could put, uh, said that Wilson looked good and, and Friedel did as well. Um, one question I had with that, is there any chance the Jacks limit, um, Wilson's minutes this season to avoid any recurring injury? Well, I, I think they're limiting him in, him, him in practice right now. If you're looking yeah. at the um, NBA, you know, comparison of load management, where all of a sudden he's playing 15 minutes a night on the back ends of these, you know, Friday, Saturday doubleheaders, you never know. Um, I, I literally asked somebody, and I, I asked more than one person when, when we were down doing the Dakota Showcase. I said, can you really be confident that Wilson's going to be there at the end of the year? You know, based on everything we've seen. Now, I will, I will certainly say I am someone who wants him to be there. And I yeah. think everybody who does games 
wants him to be there. But we've seen this lingering effect and his inability to stay healthy for long stretches. I just think every fan, every commentator uh, wants him to, to be as healthy as possible. I'm just sitting here saying I, I hope he proves it to everybody that he can stay healthy for the entirety of the season because everybody wants to have their best teams available you know, as the conference season rolls around. So um, I think they're going to limit him probably a ton you know, when, when they're not playing games, and we'll see if they do manage his minutes more aggressively on the back end on the Saturday nights than they do on the Fridays. Yeah, I always hesitate to get too far into the weeds when it comes to medical situations. You know, I've I've no doubt that Coach Anderson's working hand in hand with their medical staff, and and they're getting good recommendations, things like that. Um, so the the way I just kind of look at the situation is, I mean, obviously last last year was really kind of the worst case scenario. I mean, it doesn't really matter what you do in the regular season. It it, it really doesn't. It's all about making the NCAA tournament, and that's you know, anything short of that is I think coming up short of South Dakota State's goals. And so if you'd ask me, like, if I had to choose between two scenarios where he didn't play at all in the regular season, but was dialed in, ready to go, uh, healthy, you know, fairly in shape for the conference tournament, um, or if, if he was available for the entire regular season and not available for the conference tournament, I mean, obviously, you'd have to say, hey, we have to do whatever we have to do to get him ready for that conference tournament. I mean, they need him. He's a difference maker. His absence was a big reason why they had an early exit in that summer league tournament last year. So I don't want to speculate necessarily on how healthy he is, how healthy he isn't, whatever. Uh, obviously, the South Dakota State's coaching staff is, is well informed and in the loop and, and totally trust them. But my guess is they're going to do whatever they have to do to, to sacrifice the regular season to put him in the best possible situation for the postseason. I mean, obviously, you don't, you, you don't want to like shut him down or anything like that because if he's sitting on the bench for a month or two going into the, the conference tournament, he's probably going to be rusty. So, I mean, there's going to be a, a very delicate balancer that they're going to have to walk. Well, and one question I wanted to just, or maybe even just a statement to, to add in, um, Noel Friedel returned, um, scored 25 points in the second game, uh, shot very well. Uh, my statement on that is I hope he turns all that he's went through this season into uh, having a really great rest of the season on the court and that he learned from it and um, that that this is just a sign of things to, to come, that he's going to really channel it into being the best player on the court he can can be. Um, yeah, that go that ahead, was Zach. my takeaway. Well, yeah, that was my takeaway from last weekend is that, you know, some questions coming in, they answered all of them. They kind of cleared out the cobwebs. They got Wilson back on the court. They got Fredell back on the court. And now there's basically no storylines coming out of this weekend, essentially. And so I think that's the best thing that could have happened to them. I, I'm in agreement. You know, and I look at two different scenarios. One is a, an injury situation. One's a maturity situation. I want both of those things to be cleared up because as a, I, I'm lucky enough to be able to sit close to a lot of these games. But as a true college basketball fan, I want the best players and the best teams and the best possible matchups uh, coming to us all from Sioux Falls in that, in that weekend uh, in early March or yeah, early March. Thanks. 
And one other person I did want to mention, just I, I don't know if we even re- need to make much comment because I don't know about you guys, but I didn't get to see the game. So it's it's hard for me to say too much about it. But Adam Anhold, who had played five minutes all season, scored 16 points and I think had eight rebounds and then 11 points and seven rebounds in the in the second game. Um, so just a, another big that Western Illinois added to the fold. I, as far as I know, it wasn't injury related. So it's always interesting to me when I, when a guy barely plays and then comes out and just uh, really does a great job. So just another person added to the mix as I'm sure Western Illinois is still trying to figure out what in the world exactly they've have in a team of all new players. Well, and, and this kind of builds on the point that I was making earlier about just how high level of basketball this is. I mean, even the guys on the bench, just because they're on the bench doesn't mean they're good players. It just means they may not be the best players on their team, but they're still very good players. And so it doesn't necessarily surprise me from time to time to see a player come off the bench and, and jump right into a role. I mean, these are all probably the best players to ever play at their high schools, you know, right. and so they, they can all play uh, one through 12. So, uh, but, but it is fun to see guys get their chance and make the most of it. Yeah. Yeah. His first game, he played five minutes, scored his first ever points. And then all of a sudden, Oh, 16. Wow. Yeah. So it was fun. So I'll move on to Oral Roberts in North Dakota, our, our last matchup. And then we have a few listener questions at the end. I, I added in uh, from, from what I sent to you guys, I did want to talk about Sabian Sims and the game winning steal at the end of game one and, and wanted to kind of set that up with saying that's a steal against a guy who's considered one of the best um, ball handlers or, or lead guards in, in the conference in Max Acemas. Uh just any thoughts on that, on that play. And just uh, even I, what I took away from it was the fact that he, he went for the steal in a time where you usually just see a guy not wanting to get a foul or anything like that. Yeah. He just has incredible defensive versatility. Um, the type of versatility that they didn't have last year. And because they were, they put him on the screener quite a bit, uh, especially in the second half. And they did that so he could switch the ball screens. If you can just switch ball screens, it pretty well neutralizes them if you're not giving up too much on the defensive end. But for him to comfortably switch and then aggressively defend Max Acemas, probably 25 feet from the, from the rim, that tells you all you need to know about him. He's a very, very underrated player. Um, I think his role is only going to continue to improve on this team. Um, he's one of those guys that doesn't necessarily need the ball to be very effective. He does a good job rebounding and team defense and, and uh, has a nice shot on the offensive end. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, being able to switch those ball screens, I think a big part of what they want to do, and now they have, finally have the personnel to do it. Yeah, I'll back up Zach's comments. I had the opportunity to watch Sims play down in, in Sioux Falls and, and really – really like what he brings to the floor for Paul Sather in the University of North Dakota. Versatility, as Zach alluded to, um, I think he's a capable scorer. I actually kind of like his touch from behind the arc, but uh, willing to get after it, willing to sit down, keep people in front of him, and then doing a, does a heck of a job on the defensive glass. So I think he's really a, an important part of what UND wants to accomplish this season. I think he brings um, depending on how Paul Sater wants to play different lineups, I think Sims will typically always be in there just because he can play, in, in my opinion, anywhere from one to four defensively and, uh, and rebounds it and, uh, exceptionally well. And it's certainly nothing even close to a liability offensively. I think he brings uh, 
some added dimensions that way. So I really like what he does. And, and that's, you know, you just go back to it in and of itself, getting that first win on Friday night at ORU just took a ton of pressure off UND. I know Oral Roberts came back and won big the next night, but that was a heck of a win for Paul Sager and his group on Friday. And I think this goes back to our first point that we were talking about, about how you put together a roster. You know, do you, do you just go through freshmen or do you go through some transfers, things like that? I mean, where would you need be without him? And he was not a big scorer in the junior college ranks. And that's usually what people look for. You know, the, the, the splashier signs, the guy that averaged 30 points, things like that. I think he was only about 12, 13 points per game. But Coach Taylor was able to pick him out and say, hey, this guy has the first off the physical capabilities and the second off the, the intelligence that we could put him with the guys that we have on a roster and he's going to make everybody better. It doesn't necessarily matter how like productive he is in the stats in the stats category, but he's, he's going to fit well on this team. And so the coaches that can go out and find the right players and then recruit them are obviously going to be, have the biggest advantage. You know, the, the old adage is you want to get old and then stay old. Well, bringing in a player like Savian Sims is a great way to do that. The next thing I wanted to bring up, Deshaun Allen Eikens played nine minutes in game one and did not play in game two. And then Iannaccio missed both games. Anything new on either of those players? It sounds like uh, Iannaccio, that the plan is for him to be ready to go uh, next weekend against NDSU. Uh, okay. Just trying to, sh- to shake off an injury. I, I believe he's going to be back. Obviously, that's a big deal. That's a big deal uh, in terms of guarding Sam Griesel. He has, you know, Iannaccio has... The length and athleticism to do that. Uh, Bentu Panoam, the, the backup point guard, who actually played really nice. I was I was really impressed with the way he played. Um, much smaller, much skinnier, would have a hard time matching up with anybody on NDSU's team. So it's obviously very important to get Ianacho back. And uh, in terms of Deshaun Allen Eikens, you know, I um, I think a lot's going on there, uh, both injury wise and otherwise. So um, I'm not 100% sure uh, what to make of him going into this weekend. Gotcha. Um, and then an Oral Roberts question. Um, it seems to me that balanced shot distribution makes them a better team. And, and maybe that was just over this weekend, but it feels like something overall. Obviously, you want Kevin O'Banner and Max Asmus to have the ball a lot and put up a lot of shots because they're great offensive players. But in game one, they combined for 34 shots and they combined for 24 in game two. And, and we saw the difference in those two games. Do you guys believe that better ball distribution makes Oral Roberts a better team? Well, personally, I think so. I mean, I, I think they're uh, – um, I don't think anybody questions that O'Banner and Acemas are really key to them. But I think O'Banner and Acemas are exceptional when they're high-efficiency offensive players. And so I – you know, my thought is, yeah, get other people involved. And the next night, you know, the following night after the loss to UND, Weaver was pretty impactful. Um, and I think they're they're starting to find that third option, the wing, and I forget his name. I apologize. Uh, six six kid Thompson. Um, um, yeah, or, yeah. But I, I just I think you know the, if all you have to do is take two guys away, it, it's you're you're much easier to defend. And so I think um, you know fewer shot attempts, higher efficiency, and more guys involved is always going to be to your benefit. All right, so on to some listener questions. We've got about 10 minutes remaining. Um, and I want to start a, start with a member that is not part of the summit. 
one of the questions that came from one of the message boards is how does the addition of St. Thomas help the summit, which is of course, interesting, a division three team moving up to division one, but how do they help the summit or make it a better league? Well, I've been, I've been extremely high on St. Thomas joining the league um, from the start. I, I think it was a truly a, a genius move by, by commissioner Dupal and I, just to give everybody out there a little bit, uh, a little bit more of a profile of this university uh, who may not be as familiar with it, um, but they are, I mean, obviously in, uh, in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. Um, so the biggest thing that I think they do is they bring in the city of Minneapolis and, and that whole viewing area. You know, they're not cannibalizing uh, a geographical area that this, this conference already has covered similar to what like an Augustana would do, you know, so it's not one of those situations. So they're bringing, they're getting Minneapolis, uh, financially strong. I mean, very strong. Their, their endowments, uh, well over a billion dollars, uh, to give you a little perspective, NDSU is around 200 and UNDs around 284, somewhere in there. Um, but very, uh, you know, very strong alumni base. Um, they have a good athletic department, even though they're division three, they basically run it and staff it like a division one uh, already. And so I think their learning curve is going to be very short. Um, if we were talking about football, that'd be probably one discussion, but basketball, I mean, you can, you can get up to speed very quick. I, I absolutely believe that they're going to be up to speed by the time, at least they're eligible for postseason play, you know, maybe not the first year in the summit league, but by the time they're eligible for postseason play, I think their roster is going to be good to go. I think because and part of the, the, the deal is, is uh, Minnesota is an extremely underrated uh, state for basketball talent. Uh, that point is not lost on the Summit League coaches who readily and, and willingly recruit the state very well. I saw North Dakota State just got another commitment from a top 10 player in Minnesota today. Uh, but North Dakota State obviously typically does very well recruiting the state. Um, but just to kind of give you a little perspective, they've had basically back-to-back normal one recruits in the nation uh, with, with Jalen Suggs, who I don't think he was technically the number one recruit in the nation. He was probably a top 10 recruit, but he's playing like the number one recruit in the nation. And obviously next year, Chet Holmgren. Um, but all that kind of trickles down to the fact that there's one Division One program in the state of Minnesota. And if Minnesota could keep four of the five top players home in the state of Minnesota every year, they'd never lose a game. Um, but there's a lot of talent there. There's a lot of talent that goes around. And with that, there's a lot of talent that leaves the state and then maybe they want to transfer back. And so being able to play basketball in Minneapolis, St. Paul, play division one basketball, get a top notch education. And, um, I I think it's going to be very appealing to a lot of kids. I I really do. I I've I've been very high on them, especially their basketball to be able to get up to speed on it. Um, they already signed in, in their first recruiting class, they signed a point guard who had 10 other division one offers, uh, one even from the big East and in, in DePaul, but he also had offers from NDSU and he had an offer from Western Illinois. Uh, and he turned all those down to go to St. Thomas to try to build something there. So they're going to be up to speed quickly. Uh, it's a fantastic addition. And, uh, these other teams better be ready because they're coming and, and they're well-armed. I think Zach makes a lot of great points about St. Thomas without question. I think they're going to be a, a great fit in the Summit League. I think they're a great addition to the Summit League for a number of reasons. Um, I, you know, I'll echo Zach's comment about bringing the Twin Cities market into the Summit League. Um, every, I think almost every Summit League team, maybe with the exception of Denver, Oral Roberts, I think every Summit League team recruits the Twin Cities. 
And so the fact that you can sell that, hey, we're going to be playing there once a year, our name, you know, our, our, our brand will be more visible. Um, I think when you look at the alumni bases of a UND, of an NDSU that are situated in the Twin Cities area, South Dakota State probably for that matter as well, I think there's strong alumni bases where they can be ecstatic about the opportunity to come and watch their teams play at the University of St. Thomas. I think it's a positive all the way around, and I think it was a no-brainer. Um, and it's an and it's a it's kind of the the dynamic duo of of getting the the Twin Cities market into the Summit League and then getting the Summit League to a ten-team league. Those things uh, press all the buttons; they make all the sense in the world. Excellent addition for the Summit League to get St. Thomas in. And there's very few, like if you're looking at adding new Division One teams, you know, there's very few teams kind of switching conferences. There's, you know, there's obviously Kansas City this year, um, but you know, you're not going to find it at the Division Two ranks. You know, the majority of the Division Two schools are Division Two because they can't afford to go Division One. That's just the reality of it. It's not necessarily how good they are. It's it's what they can financially afford. And St. Thomas, quite honestly, their finances are going to be a lot stronger than even a lot of the Summit League teams already on day one. So it's just a really unique situation, and it does make a lot of sense. Uh, And I think we're going to look back at this in five or ten years, and it's going to make all the sense in the world. It's going to be uh, pretty seamless, I think. My only question is where they're going to play the games. I think they're going to have to upgrade their uh, gym a little bit, which is actually a a brand-new gym. Um, but that's not a problem. It's nothing but a, a check to cut for them. Yeah, I, you guys made really good points. It, the, it, the story when it came out, they were basically kicked out of their Division Three conference that they had that they had been in since inception. But the story was that they won too much. It was really that they were spending like a Division One program against Division Three programs yeah. was the big issue that they were running into. And I, I think it really makes sense. Um, so I think even St. Thomas even though they were not happy about the decision when it happened, I think they'll be happy in the long run. I think it was something along that wouldn't have happened without that. So, Okay. Well, I, I tried to stay out of this conversation, Todd, and I, I didn't want to go down this path, but I, you know, when, when St. Thomas is kind of feeding the line out there, Oh, they we win too much. So they're kicking us out of the conference. That's not what, that's right. not what, that, that's not the way it happened. Cause uh, you know, obviously I'm biased, but, you know, well, St. John, St. John, St. John's won the conference last year and that they, you know, St. Thomas has a very high opinion of themselves and, and they should. They have a great uh, institution. I they, they they view themselves as on the same trajectory. Like they, they want to be Marquette or Xavier or Butler. Like like that's what they view themselves at. And quite honestly, they're they're probably closer to that than, than they really are. But the, this whole getting kicked out of the, the MIAC, that was kind of a, a, a fascinating situation to get what was reported to the media and then also what was going behind the scenes. Um, but long story short, they're out of the conference. Uh, you know, I, I, I pretty firmly believe it was just kind of like a ploy to make sure that their uh, waiver gets approved. But um, interesting nonetheless, whatever it was, it worked. And they're getting what they want. So good for them. Yep. Um, one last question, because we are running out of time today, um, and we'll make it a quick one. There's a couple other really good questions, but they take some time. So what I think we're going to do is save those to next week. Um, any, uh, We saw that NDSU announced they were going up to 50% attendance. Have you guys heard of any other announced changes 
Um, it sounds like like Western Illinois is just not going to have fans at all this season. It really depends on the state. But any other um, with the Dakota schools, any new announcements? I saw, uh, <laughs> and I had to chuckle. I, I think UND is bumping up their attendance from 600 to 650. Like I was, th- <laughs> I was thinking about retweeting it, but I'm like, it's not even worth the energy that it takes to hit right. the retweet button. <laughs> but uh, that, that's the only thing that I've seen. Well, it's a perfect weekend for UND to bump it up to 50% with NDSU coming up there. But, oh, well, that's uh, there was actually some nice crowds at NDSU this last weekend. I mean, it's great to have some atmosphere in the building and, and things along those lines. But at least there will be some fans up there for the for the in-state rivalry when North Dakota State shows up in Grand Forks. So uh, that's all I've heard, though. But it's certainly nice to have some atmosphere in some of these arenas. And yeah, always subject to change. Yeah. yeah, it seemed to make some difference for North Dakota State. It was the first time I'm like, hey, a crowd. You know, I mean, you could see a few people other times, but you could hear the crowd, and it was actually, uh, you know, it made a difference. It sounded like basketball again. Really did. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll wrap up um, there. And like I said, for those of you that that sent some questions, I'll, I'll, I'll send something out again next week. But we will save the couple of questions that we did not get to today to next week's podcast. Um, but feel free to send more and uh, look forward to talking to you guys again next week. Have a great week. Stop recording.